Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. Why would a married couple, the husband a trial lawyer, and the wife an engineer, both join a ministry that seeks to know Jesus, to make him known, and to help others do the same? This is the story of Dr. Frank and Dr. Debbie Tully. Frank joins us to tell of their journey for him from the courtrooms of Chicago, church leadership in Wheaton, to discipleship ministries in Australia, and now Boston. We pause here at the beginning of our show, as we typically do, to remind you, dear friend, the reason we have the Good Life program is to share how the love of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope, hope that Dr. Frank Tully knows very well. Dr. Frank and Dr. Debbie Tully have served with the Navigators for the past 30 years. He graduated from UMass Amherst, went to school, went to law school at DePaul University in Chicago and later earned Master of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry degrees at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. After a decade of serving with the Navigators in Australia, Frank and Debbie returned to Boston. Frank is now co-director of the Boston City team of the Navigators. He and Debbie are members of Newton Covenant Church. Frank, welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. Great to be on with you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the South Shore, Boston, uh, Braintree, and then Weymouth. Um, so not too far from where we're sitting here in Quincy. All right. What was it like for you growing up in the South Shore of Boston? Uh, it was just, uh, you know, at that age where I remember like sports was a big thing. Celtics were winning all the time. The Red Sox became like a real popular team. Who was your, your favorite Celtics player? Havlicek. John Havlicek. Absolutely. John Havlicek and Red Sox player. Yes. Carl oh, yes, I'm Yeah. I'm, I'm of that era. I, I was 10 years old in 1967 when they went to the World Series. So I was just, I can name you that whole lineup. Well, as you speak, there are people who are uh, singing a chorus with you in memory yes. of uh, those great times. Who would you say influenced you most, Frank, in your early years? Well, d- definitely dad and mom. Um, we were a pretty s- solid family. Uh, learned a lot about duty and responsibility uh, from them. But I'd say, in addition, uh, my, gr- father, my grandfather, so my mom's father, was a doctor in Somerville. But I spent a lot of time at their house, uh, South Shore to the, up to Somerville. And uh, he just developed a real sense of curiosity in me. Um, he actually had his medical practice in the house and he had his lab in the house and he was a leading diabetes researcher at the time. 
And so he'd always set me up with the microscope and some looking at slides of blood cells and different things and just helped me to discover things, but also putting me a bug for travel and history. He used to take me on trips all around the New England area, looking at historic sites from the Revolutionary War, and then took me like to Gettysburg and Williamsburg. Just the two of you? Uh, that was, those were like family trips. Family trips. But, uh, but he spent a lot of time uh, with me. I was the oldest, and so I spent a lot of time with him, and he just would always be telling me stories about these. I'm not sure how factual they were, but they were great stories. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly broadened your view of the world. Yes. How did it captivate you? I mean, what, what, what did it lead you to want to do as a, as a child? It helped me get an idea that uh, there's a bigger picture out there. There's something more to discover. Uh, I, I, I love traveling. Uh, my wife and I both, I mean, we've been to different places, and but uh, exploring. Uh, the family accuses me of being the wanderer. I just were on some sort of family trip somewhere, and all of a sudden I disappear. I'm just off wandering somewhere. There's a freedom in that wandering. Yes. And it sort of makes one wonder what's going on in your, of course, in your mind, but the, the the wonder of the creativity that might be growing in your heart during those times. Yes. Frank, how did you become a follower of Christ? Uh, we, um, like I said, our family was pretty traditional uh, Irish, Catholic, Boston. Uh, and I'd say my f- folks were very devout Catholics, so we're very much engaged in the life of the church. Uh, I went to you know, Catholic school uh, in Weymouth up till eighth grade, uh, and then I went to Weymouth High. But uh, I was an altar boy, and so there was a real sense of our life revolved around the church in a, in a real meaningful way. So that was significant to me as far as just an understanding, but I sort of had this sort of lurking suspicion in the back of my mind that I wasn't sure whether all this was real, whether, and as I became a high school student, wondering, is there really a God behind all this, or is this more like a human uh, construction that, that we've developed religion out of a need to have some sort of purpose and meaning in life? But And I, it wasn't ever that I denied God's existence, but I just wasn't sure. And so everything I... I looked at I took sort of with a grain of salt. I wasn't 100% certain that I could trust uh, everything I was being taught if there wasn't a real God behind all of this. And so as I moved away uh, to college and sort of exploring new things on my own, I sort of, in the back of my mind, thought this idea of whether God was real or not was something I'd have to deal with at some point or other. But I just, I was enjoying myself too much. I was having a, a I mean, I was a good student, but I also, I, I was a good partier too, so I, I'd like to be engaged. And I was very, still very, my, like I mentioned with my grandfather, I had a curiosity. I would explore anything. There were speakers coming to campus. I'd go and listen to whatever they had to say. How did that process go? What, what led you, as you're open, you're exploring, spiritually now you're exploring. Yes. You want to know more. How did it... How did it come to you saying, okay, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, these things are real to me. Now this is... So while I was at Syracuse University, um, I began dating a a girl I knew uh, from Boston area, uh, and she's from Revere, and uh, she was at UMass. And so she was up at school at Amherst. I was in Syracuse, would sort of stay in touch. 
Uh, but then she started sending me these notes and letters saying that she met some people who were involved in this group called the Navigators, and they had a real heart for Jesus. And she was uh, beginning to understand what it meant to follow Jesus in a really significant way. And because this was something that I thought was going to be significant for both of us that somehow, I should probably begin to explore that. Uh, the following year, uh, we were still sort of doing this long-distance dating, but I had actually left school. Um, I had a, uh, for various reasons, I didn't continue at Syracuse. I took a, what we call now a gap year. It wasn't a term then. But I, uh, when I worked for people who know Boston, I was working at Filene's basement, the original basement, right in downtown Crossing. I took some night classes at Northeastern University. Uh, but my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Debbie, she began to ex- describe to me what it meant for her to become more involved in following Jesus. And she would uh, describe for me the gospel message, how Jesus died for our sins, how he rose again, how we could put our faith in him. And I said, yeah, I understand that. And I actually had a good concept of who Jesus was from my upbringing. I was familiar with the gospel stories. But I just wasn't sure if there was a God behind who Jesus was. And I was a bit maybe stubborn on, on that point, not willing to be told what I had to believe. But I was still curious. So I began reading books, and I was taking philosophy courses, but I never felt I had a satisfactory answer to this sort of question that kept on bubbling up. Is God really there or not? And so in about the uh, March, I think, of 1977, I was working at Filene's Basement. And by this point, uh, Debbie and I had gotten somewhat serious in our relationship, we were thinking about maybe a life together somehow, but we sort of knew that this question about God and Jesus was something that would be part of that. So I began to maybe dig in a little bit deeper and trying to figure some things out. And I remember uh, during the days, during my lunch break, I used to uh, walk a couple blocks away for people to know downtown Boston, St. Anthony's Shrine. I used to go there, not such because it was a church, but just because it was a quiet place in the middle of a busy city and I'd get away from the crowds at Filene's. And I would just go there, but I remember I would look for signs. I knew there was a story about this guy named Gideon somehow in the Bible. And uh, I didn't understand it all, but I just began to look for signs, maybe on a bus going by or a cloud or something like that to show me that God was there. But I really doubted I was going to hear anything at all. So, but one day I was sitting in a pew and I finally said, I give up, God. If, if you're there, you're going to have to show me somehow. And so I didn't know what to expect. But all of a sudden, the person behind me just sort of whispered in my ear, Jeremiah. And I turned around. There was nobody sitting behind me. But I heard that audibly. I actually heard somebody speak to me, Jeremiah, just as if you were telling me right now. And so I didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know if I heard it or not, if I'm just hallucinating somehow. But I was afraid I was going to forget it, so I reached into my wall, pulled out a piece of paper to write this down, and it says, guaranteed. My parents had given me a Timex watch for my high school graduation present, so under, it has a big guarantee written in bold letters. So under guarantee, I write Jeremiah. And I put it back in my wallet, and I go back to the Filene's. I sell whatever I'm selling that day. But in the, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking there's something about this and so I go home, and nobody's home that evening, so I just find the family Bible. On the way home, I'm thinking, this, 
I mean, the only Jeremiah I knew was a guy who was a bullfrog. That's mm -hmm. all I could remember. But, but it sounded like a biblical name. So I uh, grabbed the family Bible, blew the dust off of it, looked in the table of contents, and lo and behold, there's a book about uh, by or about this guy, Jeremiah. So I find out what pages I flipped to it. And I'd begun reading the Bible somewhat before, but I sort of given up. It just didn't make any sense to me reading the Old Testament. But as I read this, it's like you start reading, it's more this king and that king and such and such and so and so. But I got down to the fifth verse in the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to me. Before you were born, before you were in the womb, I knew you, I created you, and I have set you apart. And that's all I need to hear. God was saying, Frank, it's almost like these words were written for me personally. Frank, not only am I real, but I was around before you were around because I'm the one who formed you, I created you, and I've given you a purpose for your life. Frank, say those words again. Just repeat them for us, please. Yes. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have formed you, and I have set you apart for a purpose. My friend, as you're listening to Frank Tully, Dr. Frank Tully today, those words from Jeremiah, those words are for you too. The Lord formed you. The Lord knows you. The Lord is reaching out to you. When we come back from our break, more from Frank as he shares this marvelous story of a journey. You see, the journey is one of honesty. It requires that. Honesty with ourselves. Honesty with where we are in our lives. A true search. Are you there? Are you searching? Are you willing to put away all that fluff and get to the, the bottom of things? You can find out more about Frank Tully, navigators.org. We'll be back with more. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life, famously beneath the barren sky. Leave it to me, I lead you all. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life. So, Dr. Today. Frank Tully hears the word Jeremiah. He goes back home and he looks over the, the Bible, blows the dust off the Bible, reads it, and he, he reads God saying, I, I formed you, I know you. 
The Lord is speaking to you as well. The Lord is speaking to me. Well, I certainly need that reminder. You're listening to the Good Life Radio Program. Find out more about Frank Tully and the Ministry of the Navigators at navigators.org. Well, Frank Tully made a decision for Christ through that experience, and he went on to make a decision for his career. Frank Tully, take us back. How did you decide, neither you're there at UMass Amherst, you're moving on in life, how did you decide to be a lawyer? I think I started out, I was saying I was at Syracuse University first. I went and I studied international relations, and I was thinking of, and I studied Russian, this in the 70s, and so I was going to be a diplomat. Uh, I didn't do so well in my Russian studies, uh, but as I studied international relations, uh, I took a course on international law, and I found I was more intrigued by the law aspect than the international aspect. And so that experience I just described, I was sort of a year off from school, uh, had just made this decision to give my life to Jesus based on the gospel I understood from the woman who had shared it with me before. Once the question of God is resolved, I, I knew where I was going uh, in, in that relationship. Um, but I then transferred to UMass. And over that summer, we were married, and we both show up at, at University of Massachusetts as uh, uh, a married couple. And uh, we got involved with what the navigators were doing uh, at the university at the time. And, uh, but I also, so I was doing my degree in political science, but I was, at this point, I was thinking, I see myself going on towards law school and having a career in law. I didn't know exactly what that might look like, but, but that's the direction I was doing. Meanwhile, Debbie was studying engineering, and she was going to pursue a career as an engineer. So career in law, you, you go to DePaul in Chicago. Right. She's working for Motorola. Correct. As a, an engineer. And you do that for about, what, 15 years? Yes. Okay, yes. So, so you do that for 15 years. You are active members at Wheaton Bible Church. Correct. How did God call you to Australia? Well, I think God calls over, he sets things in motion early on. He prepares us for that. I think that's true in a lot of things in life. I think at times, uh, if something big and bold is set before you, we may shrink back. But if God has set the stage for that, and he did that in a number of ways. So as I said, law school full-time was three years, and we got involved with the Navigators uh, Community Ministries at that stage. And there was a couple who love us dearly, and we love them, Brian and Ginny Teal. Uh, he was a uh, middle school principal in the Chicago suburbs then. Um, and uh, they were a little bit older than us, and so we we're a new couple uh, in Chicago and trying to find our way. Uh, and so we really developed a sense of discipleship under them. They taught us how to follow Jesus in the real world, in, in our real lives. Uh, I remember they hosted a graduation party for me uh, after three years when I graduated from law school and just to start my law career. And we had a lot of family and friends there. But Brian pulled me over that afternoon in the midst of this party celebrating I'm going to be a lawyer now, and he asked me a question. He said, Frank... If God were to ask you to do something other than being a lawyer, would you be willing to do that? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I guess so, if that's what God wants. But that was the right answer. But inside my head, I'm thinking, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Uh, 
God's obviously prepared me to be a lawyer. I've invested all this time in, in studies, and this is the direction I'm going, so why would God want me to do anything else? But Brian had done something then. He just planted a seed that maybe there could be something else at some point. Now, you're a tr- you went into trial law. That's correct. Share a little bit about that, those experiences. Was there some action that you were a part of? Yeah, not, not, it's not like anything on TV, you know? It's a lot of work, okay. a lot of preparation, a lot of interviewing uh, witnesses, uh, and, and a lot of these cases never even make... Uh, to, to, we, we have preliminary hearings before a judge, but not as many cases actually go to trial. And I was actually... Uh, I did a little bit of some different types of criminal or you know, injury litigation, but I moved into an area of commercial litigation, dealing with businesses and helping resolve business disputes. Uh, and a lot of times in those business disputes, uh, they're looking to, for win-win situations. I found that much more satisfying as an attorney to work with people to bring about resolution rather than to fight through everything. So Brian Teal plants this seed. Yes. 15 years later, what happened? Uh, probably about 12 years later, uh, we had an opportunity, like I said, we'd been involved with connect, staying connected with the navigators uh, in the Chicago area. By then, we had been engaged in ministry at our local church, Wheaton Bible Church, and we were helping we were a couples who were leading a uh, discipleship course at the, at the church using some navigator materials we were familiar with. And the uh, assistant pastor was a guy named Jim Riedel, and Jim uh, had helped us uh, grow in this area. And so we were part of a number of people from the Chicago area had gone out to Colorado during the summer uh, where the Navigator's headquarters is, and it was a uh, more like a family conference. We brought all our kids and a lot of fun activities uh, for them during the summer. Uh, and as you go to these conferences for a week, uh, they have good teaching, uh, and you'd have like a morning session, and then after the morning break, they usually have these workshops. And it could be things like, you know, how to pray, uh, learning how to share your testimony, how, how to read the Bible. And I thought, well, I sort of know how to do some of these things. So rather than talking about it, I'll just go and do it. So I grabbed my Bible and my journal, and I'd hike up into the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So each of the mornings there that week, I was just going through some things that God had already uh, put on my heart, some areas, some passages of Scripture that I had memorized, uh, looking at uh, my journal, some previous things I had written down. And it was becoming clear throughout the week, starting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that God was coming back to the same message. And what he was essentially saying was, Frank, I really appreciate how you're serving me with your career. I appreciate the fact that you're trying to practice law with integrity. I appreciate the fact that you're using the income you're generating from your work to support your family, to support the local church, to support missionaries around the world, which we are engaged with. Frank, I really appreciate how you're using your law practice as a platform for the gospel. At that time, I was involved in an organization called the Christian Businessmen's Committee. Um, We had a chapter in downtown Chicago. We had lunches and would invite people. So I'd invite people from the law firm to come and usually have somebody having a story or testimony of what God was doing in their life. And so just trying to share my faith with others in the workplace uh, was a significant thing. And God was saying, 
Frank, I really appreciate you doing all that. But what I really want to know is, can you surrender your career? Can you give control, yield control of your career to me? And it was as clear as day that that's what God was asking me to do. And so I really struggled with that. I didn't know what it meant exactly. Uh, I went back and Debbie and I talked about how I had this sense that God was asking me to take another step somehow. Didn't know what it would involve. But by the end of the week, and I actually stood up at the conference at the end of the week, they had an opportunity where we call it like driving in a stake, where you make a commitment. That, And I, I stood up. Other people had stood up as well and, and shared some things. But I said, I believe God is asking me to give him control of the direction of my law career. Your faithfulness in your law career as a believer is exemplary. And God redirected you from there. I think someone might be listening today and thinking about a possible transition. Some might be thinking about it from the standpoint of they are uh, there's a lack of ease there. They want more. There is a lack of contentment there. But you seem to have felt a contentment, a thriving. This was a good place to be. You were serving the Lord. There was balance in your life. And then God moved you. One of the things sometimes people want to do is they... They think the grass is greener somewhere else where the problems aren't going to be in the next place. And they quite often, almost all the time, emerge again. Say, hey, I'm here again. Have you dealt with me before? And you can't run away from me as where this so-called animated problem yes. does. But this was a different season, another sign, because you were grounded and God was moving you. I just think this ministers to us to remind us, Frank about being faithful where we are, do the best we can for the Lord, and let God use us, and then hear his call clearly Yes. when the time comes as you and Debbie. When we come back from our break, more from Frank Tully. I'm glad you didn't rush through that so much of the journey next in Australia was tied in deeply woven with life in Chicago. Year after year after year. You're listening to Dr. Frank Tully. There is so much more to come when we come back. He'll talk about going to Australia and how God used him there for the Navigators. Find out more at navigators.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you all Hi. This is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238.
You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life After a decade of active membership in Wheaton Bible Church and Providence Community, they were commissioned by the church to work with the Navigators in Australia in 1993. I'm talking about Dr. Frank Tully and his wife, Debbie, Partnering with a number of churches across Sydney, they introduced and developed church discipleship resources and training. Frank, take us back. How did that develop, and what were your experiences like, you and your family in Australia? Yes, uh, from a ministry perspective, it it was something new stepping in, and we had been successfully using what the navigators called the 2-7 discipleship series. It's based on Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Uh, about being rooted and growing stronger in faith, but the idea being rooted in Christ, obviously. But it's the idea that we were going to introduce how this could be used among churches in Sydney, particularly, but then ideally across Australia. Uh, and so we went there with that mindset. I think what we didn't anticipate and what God taught us along the way is ministry, especially Christ-centered ministry, is not about programs. It's about mm-hmm. relationship. Uh, obviously, our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but then relationships with one another in, in the body of Christ. So we did uh, promote this particular uh, discipleship resource. We modeled it, and we ran training seminars. But as we became involved with a number of different churches and meeting different people, uh, we just felt there was something more that God was doing in our hearts, to, to uh, in, in our neighborhood, uh, with the friendships, with sporting clubs that we were involved with as parents, with growing children at that stage or school age. And it just seemed that the way that God used us to come alongside people and talk about our faith in Jesus and, and his love for them became a much more natural way of doing ministry alongside what we were doing with the programs. We didn't just abandon the programs, but we said there's something bigger here. And initially, when we went, we were only assigned to go for two years. We ended up staying for five, uh, just because it just seemed like God had put us there. And it was a, you know, it was a great opportunity for our ch- children to uh, flourish and, and see uh, the world from a different place, but also to be involved in Christian community in a different way than they had uh, in the earlier years of their life. So what caused you to, to, to make the decision at some point, you made a decision to come back. Right. So as I mentioned, we were there for two. They asked us who would stay for another two years. We said, oh, yes, that'd be great. Then they said, would you stay for another four years? And we thought and we realized that four plus four didn't equal eight. If that stage where we were in life, we said yes to that, it really meant we were staying long term in Australia. And we didn't rule that out. But as we prayed about it and really sensed where God would have us, we thought about our children and what would be best for their future, but also for our extended family. We've been now removed uh, from Boston for like 20 plus years, and our children really don't know their grandparents. They don't know aunts, uncles, cousins. And we just thought it'd be a good time to return and come back to Boston to be more involved in the lives of our family here as well. So you reset in Boston. Right. What do you do, and where does... Debbie Teach. Yeah, so initially, uh, 
uh, we enrolled, uh, at least the two boys, were at South Shore Christian Academy, right down the road here uh, in Weymouth. Uh, and we were living in Weymouth uh, at that time where I grew up. And uh, Debbie just got involved as a parent and helping out and serving. But eventually they said, no, we actually have a space for t- uh, teaching high school math. So she got involved teaching high school math at South Shore Christian Academy. Uh, well, I was coming and helping develop what we called then uh, the Metro Mission. So I was looking at the navigators in the Boston area and how we could bring some different people who are doing some different things together to be more collaborative in our ministry approaches here in the city. How many years did you stay in Boston before another transition? Because you know, you're, you're settling in, you're back with family, you're back home, you're in the ministry, Debbie's teaching. Was there another change? Well, yes. So we were five years in Australia initially, and then we were back in Boston for 12 years. And by this point, each of our children have now graduated high school, gone on to university. They've moved away. They, our oldest ends up in California. Our, our next son goes off to Texas Christian University, uh, meets a lovely girl there, gets married. Uh, and our youngest uh, was uh, down south at school as well. And Debbie and I had had opportunities over the years to go back and visit friends in Australia. And so we've taken a number of trips there. In fact, I took our uh, middle son, Kevin, uh, on a uh, youth group trip. I talked to the pastor at South Shore Baptist Church and said, hey, uh, how about we do a, a missions trip to Australia? I know some people there. So we set that up. Um, but on one occasion, uh, when we went back, there was a new director for the Australian Navigators. And we had lunch with he and his wife when we first arrived. And he said to us, what is it with you guys? You're always coming back here. Why don't you just come and stay? And I said, well, make me an offer. And so he did. And uh, we've prayed about that. And it took us about another year or two just to, to organize some things and work some things out. But uh, we ended up returning in 2012 uh, to Sydney. Was it an offer you couldn't refuse? <laughs> <laughs> it was an easy offer. This <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, 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 is an aside. When we were leaving Australia, we sort of did so with a bit of a heavy heart back in 1999. And it was that sense of God gave me almost a, a promise like, if I ever want you to come back here, I can bring you back here whenever I want. Mm. And I sort of said, oh, God, I'm going to hold you to that. I mean, this is taking, taking it back to Brian Teal. Yes. The seed that was planted. Yes, exactly. Lord, my career is yours. Right, right. So you go back. Well, we need to talk about that. You, so you go back. You and Debbie yes. go back. And with an invitation, an offer, what did the Lord do there in Australia? Yeah, so that looked very different. Uh, we weren't going back as, uh, with children and family. We were going back as empty nesters. Uh, we, before, we lived in the suburbs. Uh, now our, the offer that was extended to me was to help develop uh, ministry among young adults, people who after they graduate from university. Uh, the navigators in Australia had really redeveloped their campus ministries, um, but they were finding that increasingly a number of these students would connect with them, but then graduate and they would just sort of disappear. Uh, Australia is a very unchurched culture, and most of the students we were connecting with on the campuses didn't come from church backgrounds, so they didn't really necessarily think about going to church after they graduated, and they were just sort of drifting. So the idea to create this sort of uh, connection point 
So I wanted to help them to connect with each other. So they, after they graduated, they would still get together. And so we created events for them to come together and do things together. We wanted them to stay connected to the navigators, not so much organizationally, but missionally, that they would embrace this calling to, to uh, advance the gospel and to see people, more and more people come to Christ. Did you see fruit? Yeah, we did. We did. Share about some of the, the fruit that you saw. Well, well, the, well and the, the third connection point I'll just m- mention was connecting with local churches. And that's where we, we helped people understand the value of being involved in local churches. And I have a high value on the local church, even though we're with the parachurch organization. So we would steer a number of people into these type of churches. So Debbie and I, we, we deliberately located in the inner city, had an apartment. Uh, it was close to the water, so it was a nice view. Uh, but it was a... Uh, place where a lot of young adults would like to come and hang out and be together. Uh, we also started, uh, because most of these people are now working full time, so we began meetings uh, in the morning before work. Uh, and so this uh, evolved in what we call the gospel at work uh, and seeing men and women following Jesus on the job. So there you are, 2012. You return yes. to Australia. When we come back from our break, you're going to hear more in the final segment, and we'll have a time of prayer as well. 2012, Frank and Debbie returned to Australia to develop men and women in their 20s and 30s, to grow as followers of Jesus, and to disciple others. Frank uh, launched the Gospel at Work program, which still continues to equip young workers to live out their faith on the job. Debbie did something too. She got her PhD. We'll talk more about that when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me i lead you home This is Danny Yamashiro. Don Pick Benson wrote, When I was growing up, my dad was a farmer, not a Christian. He had little interest in faith, having been told by his father that the Bible was a fairy tale. But then a local pastor took an interest in my dad, asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one act of service spoke louder than words ever could to my dad. By his actions, the pastor made my dad feel loved, and that did more than any preaching could have. He didn't need convincing about the theological correctness of the Bible. He needed to feel God's love for him. This pastor met that need in a practical way, and that's evangelism. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, That pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. 
go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Frank launched Gospel at Work, that program in Australia, which still continues to equip young workers to live out their faith on the job. Debbie is Dr. Debbie Tully. She received her PhD from the University of Sydney, and later taught in the education faculty. She now is head of middle school at Newton Country Day School. Dr. Frank Tully joins us today. Frank, as uh, we you know, enter our fourth segment, we do want to spend some time praying. When you think about workplace ministry and a national workplace leadership group meeting, what brought you back? To Boston again, and how are those ministries playing out? Well, Danny, I'd say that my heart has always been in the workplace. Uh, when I told you the story of how we actually sense God leading us to go to Australia and to step out of law practice, I think I struggled mostly with the idea of, am I giving up? This is, I thought this is where God would have me. And what he made clear to me then and then over the years even more so is that he wants to use me in the workplace, equipping men and women uh, to see what it means to love Jesus, uh, but also to love their, what I call their colleagues, clients, and competitors, mm-hmm. and to see the gospel grow among those uh, people. And competitors. Really, and competitors. Say more about that. Well, I mean, that's something I experienced myself as, as an attorney. Like, it's a very, it's an adversarial system. Uh, so you're always having to uh, win for your client, which means you're going up because somebody wants to win for their client, even in a business setting. Uh, but the idea is, at the end of the day, I had some good advice. As a new lawyer, I just had a senior guy from our church. He wasn't in my law firm, but he was at our church. And he just gave me the best advice. He said, the real litmus test of following Jesus as a, an attorney would be that after everything was said and done, and whatever was a, a, a lawsuit or a contract negotiation or a real estate transaction, if I had had the opportunity down the road to talk to this person who was on the other side about Jesus and what he's did on my life, would there have been anything that I had done in the legal aspect, in, uh, in, in the negotiations, in the communications, that would disqualify my testimony? And he said, that's the real key, is that as followers Jesus in the workplace, we are called to a higher standard, and we need to live that out because we never know how God's going to use us in the life of another person. And that is, that is, that also gets me to think, because also in, involved with that is how the Frank Tully witness, how the Danny witness, or our listeners witness, if they were to hear of another Christian also, did the testimony yes. hold weight? Yes, exactly. Especially in an adversarial situation. Wow. 
Thank you for sharing that. Frank, how has the Lord helped you and Debbie through difficult times? I guess we have a uh, just a fundamental belief and, and value there. That, 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 first of all, God knows what's best for us more than we know what's best for ourselves. So when we go through tough times, and when and there have been a number, uh, but we realize that God's going to do something here. We don't know what and we don't know when, uh, but we just need to hold on and, and trust him for that. And, and I think part of this is not feeling like we need to look back, we look in the rearview mirror, so to say. We just keep our eyes focused on Jesus going forward. Now, that's a simple answer. And, that, and, and when you're in the middle of something, it's hard to do that, I realize. But, and I think having each other uh, to support, because I may be going through a particular tough stretch, and Debbie can remind me of who God is and what he's done for us and our family. And she may, likewise, may be having something that uh, she's gone through in the last year or so, and I can just say, I, I really believe the believe that God's doing something here, and, and here's some ways to see it. I'd like to turn it to a listener, a point of encouragement. Someone today might be going through, they may be married, maybe their spouse is going through something and they can support their spouse, or the other way around. Someone might not have a spouse. They might be alone. Right. It might be at an age in life where they're a widow or a widower. Someone might be younger loss, health, finances, relationship, a word of encouragement to someone. And out of your experience, if you could speak to that dear friend, that dear person listening. Yeah, yeah ideally, uh, we live out the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom in community. We don't try to go it alone. I think that's the enemy, Satan's the main thing he wants to get Christians isolated and feel like we're in whatever trouble we're in, we're in it all by ourselves. We need to cultivate a community. Um, you know, Debbie and I just had an experience just over the last a year before, and moving back to Boston. We were not in a Bible study or community group. This is the first time in our forty-five years of marriage that we were not in some sort of regular community group. I mean, we attended church and everything else, but, but having people in your home or being in somebody else's home, and that's so integral to who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're, we're very happy we're hosting. We're, tomorrow night, there'll be a dozen people around our table uh, as we're looking uh, at, at, at the Word of God together. Uh, but uh, that's something really important. And I know it's, especially with COVID, a lot of people have been left out and felt isolated, and it's, sometimes it's hard to find community uh, but I just, if, first of all, we just pray, Lord, give me that one or two other people who can come alongside, who can come alongside me and support each other. Uh, and so particularly, as you say, for people who, well, I think it's a great thing for people who are married, but it's even more significant for people who may be single. I ask if you, if you would, Frank, to pray, especially about community, pray for, for someone who, who might feel alone. Or, or like you and Debbie, they might have been used to, to community, and all of a sudden, they realize, "Oh, I, I've been out of, I've been out of that for a while." Please, Father, we just uh, thank you. The first of all, you model community in your very being as Father, Son, and Spirit together. And then, as you 
uh, through your son Jesus came into the world, he didn't uh, raise up disciples one by one by one, but he gathered them together. Uh, and uh, we see this in the Gospels, and we see this uh, through the whole New Testament of people coming together and gathering community, doing the one another's together, Lord, uh, is such a rich blessing. We thank you uh, that you have not left us alone and you've called us into fellowship together. And where it's difficult for people to gather uh, in person, we thank you for the technology we have of, of Zoom and other platforms we can engage with one another. But Lord, we just desire for that opportunity to just be around the table, um, breaking bread together, but mostly praying together uh, and giving thanks to you. So I just pray for each person who may be listening now that they would sense, first of all, uh, the community you offer in Father, Son, and Spirit, but also the opportunities to gather in community with others who are like-hearted and like-minded in living out the gospel and developing lives that look more and more like Jesus. So we ask that in his name. Amen. 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 Frank, thank you for, for praying and for your leadership, your leadership with the Navigators. You're on the leadership team at Newton Covenant, Covenant Church with, led by Pastor Garrett Smith, Dr. Garrett Smith. So, so thank you for sharing and, and being open about that particular season in your life. Another question before we wrap today. Have you and Debbie or individually ever felt in all your your ministry, your career, and the moving. Do you ever feel a bit weary with relationships where you invest your yourselves into relationships with people and then and then there's a move? And and then new relationships. Because sometimes I wonder if people hold back because they've invested and and it's it's like we're close, and then they're gone. We're close, and then, and then to be vulnerable again, to give that much again, I'm going to hold back. Have you ever felt that or been in an experience in that respect? Or, and if so, could you speak to that? It's a dual-edged uh, sword in a sense, but uh, you do experience that sense of maybe being alone at times, uh, particularly if you're transitioning from one place to another, but there's a richness in the relationships that God allows you to cultivate and sustain over many years. I mentioned in the beginning my friend Brian Teal. Yes. Uh, I'm, he's in Colorado now. Brian and I had uh, had dinner together uh, just a couple of months ago, and I happened to be in Colorado. And that is a rich relationship. And there are people we know in Australia as well. So we just uh, we stay in touch, and when we have occasions we get together, we just rejoice that uh, God's given us those type of relationships to maybe sustain us through some of the uh, the dry or the, the empty seasons relationally. When I look at you and I see the smile on your face, I yes. I get the sense of these types of these relationships that you describe are like the ones where you might not see each other for years, and as it said, when you when you when you connect again, it's like no time passed. Yes, and, and, there, and there's, a, there's a secret because of that. Jesus is at the center of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And so with Jesus at the center, it's always a fresh relationship. We don't talk about old times or nostalgic. But we talk about what God's been doing in our lives right up to the very moment. What is God doing in our lives? 
Well, the navigator, you're a navigator man. What's your favorite scripture verse or the one that you've mem- memorized, topical memory system oh, of oh, the navigators? I mean, I, I, I'm going to say I, I shared from the, you know, Jeremiah, you know, that's, that's my sort of life verse. And uh, the book of Jeremiah has been uh, very significant for me over the years. I'll, I'll share one because it's, it's sort of current. This is what I'm praying for as we develop uh, a gospel of work ministry in Boston. Because um, I'm thinking about the future. Uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 21. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. And it's a sort of sense that that's a messianic prophecy, so I understand the context. It's really speaking about Jesus in the book of Jeremiah. But at the same time, I'm praying that God will actually raise up among the young men and women here in Boston someone who can lead this ministry on, because they're not going to be here forever, and there'll be someone who can take on and, and move that forward. Frank Tully, thank you. Edifying words from Dr. Frank Tully, Navigators.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, maybe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Frank Tully, Navigators.org. Until next time, along with my producer, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator, Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.